It's September 12th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, the immigration crisis is causing Democrats in Chicago and New York City to make some big changes this morning, including an embrace of deportation. I've got those details coming up. Second, a new bill in California will require judges to consider gender affirmation when it comes to which parent gets custody of a child. Respectful details on that debate in just a bit. Third, the German government is backing off its pledge to strengthen its military. I'm going to share with you why that is so important to taxpayers like you here in America. Fourth, I've got something to share with you that you might not know. One country in the world is home to nine of the most deadly cities. I'll share with you which country that is and how that impacts you. Later, we close out the podcast with a story about a road trip taken by a Biden official to sell people on electric vehicles. But that trip did not go very well. It ended up with a screaming baby and a call to the cops. Oh, dear. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. Two major U.S. cities are in crisis mode this morning, dealing with a deluge of illegal migrants and asylum seekers. And it's causing leaders there to change their tunes about immigration and change their tunes about deportation. So let's start off in the sanctuary city of Chicago this morning, where Democrat Alderman Raymond Lopez has said he has had enough. He is going to introduce a bill tomorrow at a city council meeting that will allow city police to turn over illegal migrants to federal deportation authorities for the very first time in years. And that's because right now, Chicago police are not allowed to hand over these folks, even if that illegal is, say, a gang member or has a conviction, or an outstanding criminal warrant. And that includes, by the way, for crimes involving children. Well, Mr. Lopez says that his bill is going to change all of that. As he said, quote, When you have individuals who are coming here to Chicago only for evil purposes, to be perfectly honest, we shouldn't protect them. We shouldn't harbor them. We shouldn't be a refuge or a sanctuary for them. End quote. Well, if that sounds familiar, it should. Former President Donald Trump said effectively the same thing all the way back in 2015, that foreign nations were not exactly sending us their best people when these folks were arriving. And he got a lot of heat for saying that. Well, now he is being joined by Democrats in Chicago, of all places. And by the way, not just this Mr. Lopez. His bill has 20 co-sponsors, all of them Democrats, except for one. It is the one and only Republican alderman on the council, and that person is supporting this bill as well. By the way, when Mr. Lopez was asked why so many other sanctuary Democrats are joining him in this effort, and why now? Well, Mr. Lopez said, quote, This is a moment to restore some sanity and common sense. The left, the progressives, the socialists, they act as though everything is just an academic exercise. They don't realize or appreciate the real-world implications of what they do. Well, the real world has come home to the city of Chicago, and the border crisis is in our backyard, end quote. And by backyard, he meant that quite literally, actually. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson announced on Friday that he would move 1,600 migrants into tents throughout this city, into places like parks and other city properties, and they are going to remain there through the Chicago winter, 
which, well, good luck to everybody on that one. I'm not so sure that's going to go well. But nevertheless, those 1,600 folks had been jammed up in Chicago police stations. They were sharing space with cops who, if this bill passes, they can now arrest these folks and have them deported. So that is the latest out of the city of Chicago this morning. Left, uh, let us shift gears now to our friends in New York City, where the mayor there is also exploring a new tent option. Mayor Eric Adams has announced that he will likely be moving illegal migrants and asylum seekers into his town to outdoor tents all throughout the city. And just like in Chicago, he's going to do it starting this fall through the winter, and that will include women and children. Now, where exactly these new tent cities are going to be popping up, that is not exactly clear, but New York officials have previously announced that Central Park might be a good spot. They shared that idea back in early August. Mayor Adams has also recently shared this about his illegal crisis. It is going to destroy his city. He said that last week, quote, we're getting 10,000 migrants a month. That means a $12 billion deficit. Every service in this city is going to be impacted. And let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. And I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. This city we know we are about to lose. End quote. That, of course, is remarkably different than just a couple of years ago when this same fellow was running for office. As he tweeted out on October 20th of 2021, quote, we should protect our immigrants, period. New York City will remain a sanctuary city under an Adams administration, end quote. Well, two years later, here we are. And here's another thing we should talk about. On Saturday, Mayor Adams also announced that his city would cut its budget by 5% across the board, including to the city's police force all to pay for those illegals and all the free stuff that they were promised. So those are the facts and data coming to us this morning from both Chicago and New York. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion. So I have a prediction. I think that we are about two weeks away from Democrats in these cities announcing that we need to build a border wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. <laughs> okay, I'm being a little bit cheeky here, but the point is this. America has no southern border. All right, sensible people have known this for a long time now. And now lately, after the dam has broken and this crisis has just flooded all over this nation, Democrats like Mr. Lopez in Chicago and Mr. Adams in New York want us to, quote, restore some sanity and common sense into this issue, end quote. Well, great. I think that most folks would agree with that. In fact, recent polls show upwards of 70% of us want stronger borders. But sanity and common sense, folks, if you get into the weeds of it, that is going to require two things if we really want to solve this. First, it's going to involve tough choices because there are millions of illegal migrants in this country and they all have to be sent home. And that is going to be a very ugly process. It's a logistical challenge that will almost certainly require military bases and military transportation uh, facilities and planes and so forth. And that means, ladies and gentlemen, that second... To carry that out, right, we are going to need new leadership that has a spine, certainly in the White House, but also in state houses, too, and in Congress. And doing that, getting all those kinds of leaders in place, that's probably going to take a while, especially with legal challenges, absent a president who could declare martial law for a limited period of time in certain places in the country to just clean up this mess. 
So that means then that this mess will be with us for years to come. And sadly, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because as I have briefed you all on, more migrants are on the way. But still, we can take hope, right? We can clean this all up. We just need each and every one of us who are sensible Americans to have the realization that Mr. Lopez and Mr. Adams have had. That, you know what? Enough is enough. Whatever the plan was, it was wrong. And it needs to be fixed. With that, we turn to our second report of the morning. A new bill in California will require judges to consider gender affirmation when it comes to which parent gets custody of a child during those very difficult family fights of who gets the the kiddos to raise. And that means that one parent could lose custody if the other parent can prove that their former spouse lacks proper gender affirmation. So let's talk about this bill and its implications, appreciating the fact, folks, that I generally shy away from these social issues. But this one, I think it's pretty darn important because it could be that the state of California under this law can take away the custody of a child if they think that neither parent will affirm a child's transgender identity. And that is pretty dangerous. Okay, so let's talk about this bill and let's talk about what we know. Late last week, the California Assembly passed a bill called AB 957. It's entitled the Transgender, Gender Diverse, and Intersex Youth Empowerment Act. Democrat Assemblywoman Lori D. Wilson is the author of this bill, and here is what she argues. Parents who fail to acknowledge and support their child's gender transition, well, they're just terrible parents. And a judge should consider that, especially if they're deciding the custody of a child. And if neither parent is fully affirming, then the child gets removed from that home and placed into foster care. Now, Ms. Wilson says that her bill is necessary to ensure the well-being of all transgender and gender-diverse kids, and this proposed new law will help ensure that that happens. But I think that this raises a pretty thorny question. What exactly does it mean to be gender-affirming? Right? What specific parental acts are defined as such? Well, Ms. Wilson was asked that question, and she said, well, it depends, but it, it could be things like allowing a child to play with whatever toy they want to, or let a kid uh, choose to cut or comb their hair however they want, or it, it could also be to paint their nails or their face however they want to, and let them go out into the public to demonstrate that. Now, critics, on the other hand, are hearing this from Ms. Wilson, and they say, my goodness, Kids should not always get to play with the toys that they want to. They should not be allowed to chop off their hair at will, nor should they be allowed to, you know, paint their hands and faces as they would like, because those decisions should really be left up to parents so that they can, well, parent. Well, whatever you think of those arguments, the bill has already passed the state legislature. It's now off to Governor Gavin Newsom to sign it, and he's expected to do so in the coming days. So those are the latest facts and data out of California on this very divisive social issue. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion. So again, as listeners know, I have long sought to avoid these discussions around social issues because they are so divisive and often reasonable people can passionately disagree. And I say that because I tell you, I have lived much of my life in foreign cultures with different tribes and religions and customs and sexualities and moral codes And that was all wonderful, irrespective of whether or not I liked or approved of all those things. Lovely places and lovely people all. But this news out of California crosses, I think, a very important line. And here's why. 
Data show us that kids who think that they are transgender or non-binary are upwards of six times more likely to be autistic, meaning that they are in the midst of a profound emotional and developmental journey. For those of us who have friends or loved ones who are autistic or raising autistic kiddos, we know this. We know that these folks have a disability, and it leads to some very serious symptoms in some cases, including and commonly known as things like obsessive interests or unusual reactions to normal stuff, uh, delayed cognitive skills, impulsive decision-making, and an improper understanding of fear and risk. By the way, those symptoms, not just my opinion, those come from the CDC. So that means, ladies and gentlemen, that an autistic child should not be reflexively affirmed if they say that they want to remove a body part because they feel transgender, right? Nor is it affirming to encourage an autistic child to inject themselves with chemicals that forever change their gender, or at least the expression of it or the the identity of it, when they don't even understand what that is and they can't properly consent. So if I could say all that very simply, an autistic child should not be in a home with someone who doesn't understand their child's condition. And yet in California, the opposite is about to be true. These kids will now be placed with the parent who is the most likely to allow for the ultimate mutilation of their child's bodies. And that's pretty horrific. American history is full of examples of medical experimentation on disabled kids, to include in California. Back in the 1950s, the state conducted radiation experiments on disabled kids in state hospitals. They removed their brains from these kids once they died from radiation exposure to further study their brains. And that kind of medical madness, right, justified so many years ago by all sorts of doctors and politicians, well, that spirit now lives on in bills like this one from a Miss Lori D. Wilson, a bill that, ladies and gentlemen, is likely to become law. So here's my bottom line. Adults can choose to do as they would like provided that they can reasonably consent to that choice. But when it comes to kids, what we can't ignore, what we absolutely must not ignore, is that the science and the data show that these kids who believe themselves to be trans are overwhelmingly struggling with a disability, at least autism, perhaps others related to to gender dysmorphia. And that means, my friends, that these kids should be treated with love and compassion Not some sort of faux political affirmation by, say, a judge or a vindictive parent in a custody battle that ultimately leads to the permanent mutilation of a medically fragile child. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at the rightreport.substack.com, thank you. I hope you are enjoying the podcast that's delivered to you each day ad-free in your email. I also hope that you can access those, uh, access those transcripts to the facts and data that I presented to you this morning. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks and enjoy the following messages, remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Folks, I've mentioned to you that to put this podcast together, I work upwards of 12 hours a day. Now, that doesn't leave me much time to cook. And that is why I have been so grateful for America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit called Factor. These meals come fresh, delivered right to your doorstep, and take two little minutes to eat. Now, if you are skeptical like I am, I was at first thinking, eh, this stuff is going to taste like airline food. 
But no, sir, no, ma'am. These Factor meal kits are good. And Factor has a wide variety of meals to choose from, folks, covering lunch and dinner and some very good breakfast options, too. Portion sizes, by the way, are appropriate and modest, making them perfect as a nice meal or a hearty snack for hungry guys like me. Bottom line, folks, you know that I take great care when endorsing products, and I sure do with this one. Factor is my go-to option for when I am just too darn busy to cook. That is why you must head to factormeals.com slash right five zero. Right, use that promo code right five zero and you're gonna get fifty percent off. Again, that is factormeals.com slash W R I G H T five zero and you're gonna go and get fifty percent off, folks. What a deal! Go there and get this stuff today. Folks, you know that here on The Right Report, we talk about the mix of economic signals in America that suggest that things aren't great. Inflation remains high, interest rates too, and debt levels for both the government and consumers alike, whew, at record highs. So if you add all that up, that is financial risk, ladies and gentlemen, for people like you and me. So if you have been considering ways to diversify your investments and lower those risks, you ought to consider gold and silver and consider American Hartford Gold. They can show you how to protect your savings and retirement accounts. All it takes to get started, folks, is a short phone call. They will show you how to protect your portfolio with physical gold and silver. American Hartford Gold has a five-star rating from thousands of reviews and an A-plus ranking from the Better Business Bureau. And if you give them a call today, folks, they will give you up to $5,000 of free silver purchase dependent. So call them at this number, 866-353-2694. Or easier yet, you can text right, that's my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T, to this number, 65532. Again, text right to 65532 or call toll free at 866 353 26 9-4. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news. And we start in Germany this morning where the government there is backing off of its pledge to bolster its military. And that has some profound implications for you and America's $60 billion war in Ukraine. So here's what we know. About three weeks ago, the German government retreated from its pledge to legally commit itself to meeting an obligation of NATO to spend 2% of its annual budget on military needs. Now, the Germans might still spend that much money or not on its military, but what they've done is they have wiggled out of their previous commitment to legally seal this deal into law, at least according to reports by Reuters News Service. And that is quite a shocker. Because in the weeks after Russia invaded Ukraine, the German government announced very clearly and in no uncertain terms that it would absolutely spend that 2% obligation and put it into law and do that for the very first time in many, many years. In fact, the chancellor of Germany said at the time that he was committed to a military sea change, as he called it, and that, quote, we need to invest significantly more in the security of our country in order to protect our freedom and our democracy. End quote. But apparently that is no longer true. As of two weeks ago, give or take, the government is wiggling out of their legal commitment to, to offer up 2% of their GDP to military spending. So we should ask why. Why is that? Well, here's part of the answer. 
The German government is substantially increasing its welfare payments, which the Germans often refer to as the people's money. So here's what we know about that. The German government announced over the past couple of weeks that they are going to increase cash payments to the unemployed and single parents, with each child now getting double the cash that the government previously doled out. But here's what's interesting about this. All these increases to various Germans, that's leading the people of that country to doubt whether they should even work at all. A poll out last week showed that more than half of Germany's residents do not believe that work is worthwhile anymore, given all these new benefits. I should tell you that the government also hands out rent money and health insurance coverage too. So if you add up that expanding and very expensive welfare system, plus you have a, a slowing German economy, which means less tax revenue, well, now you got budget cuts, and that means that military expenditures are in the crosshairs. Okay, so why do we in America care about all that stuff in Germany and all those internal domestic dynamics? Well, to discuss that, why we care, we need to pivot from facts and data to my analysis and opinion. So let's just quickly recap what's happening in Germany, right? The economy is not doing well. Their finances are then tight, deficits swelling. But my goodness, they have this massive welfare system and the voters really like it. They don't want to get rid of it. But gum, how to pay for it. Plus, we got to defend the nation against Russian aggression and we have to support all those Ukrainians. Whoo, how to pay for all that. And who's going to fight for us if somebody should invade like Russia? Hmm, well, the folks in Germany and Berlin say, you know, maybe somebody else's military and their sons and daughters will defend the German people. Hmm, who could that be? Yes, they are talking about you, your children, and your country. That is because, of course, Germany is a NATO member, and America leads that NATO alliance. And we are the ones who have built up our military. We are the ones who have strong men and women in uniform. And it is based on that calculus that the folks in Berlin say, we are going to spend big on all that social spending, and we're going to let the Americans take care of defending us, should that ugly day ever arrive. I should tell you that both the Germans and other European countries have done this for years now, saying that basically the United States should be responsible for all their defense needs while they spend big, big money on welfare payments and such. In fact, that is why people like former President Donald Trump got into big trouble saying a number of years ago that our European partners treat us like a bunch of suckers. Well, based on this news out of Berlin and Germany this morning, he might have had a point. Perhaps he still does. But as ever, I encourage you all to just keep this in mind when you hear the very smart people in Washington, D.C. talk about our NATO alliance and how important and sacred it is. Because I think what this uh, series of facts and data tell us this morning is that maybe that alliance, it's not exactly a fair deal, right? Maybe the Germans should actually defend their own country instead of hoisting that burden onto you and your kids in America while they spend their cash on things like welfare payments. Because it seems logical to make that argument, very fair actually, even if that does make some people in Washington, D.C. clutch their foreign policy pearls this morning. With that, we turn to our last piece of news for the morning. And this one starts with a question. Which country in the world do you think is the most dangerous? Specifically, folks, which country has nine of the top 10 most deadly cities? Now, what's your guess? Well, the answer is Mexico. 
That is according to data released about a week ago, laying out the murder capitals of the world, and they are mostly all in Mexico, with two just across the U.S. border. Now, folks, I share this news with you because of this next fact. Mexico is now America's top trade partner, taking that top spot from China. Or if I could say that a little bit differently, America is moving its economic supply chain to a country that is the most deadly and violent in the world. Is that smart, do you think? And plus, how smart is that when we consider yesterday's brief where we discussed more U.S. companies are moving out of China, which is good, all right, but still, they're going to that very same dangerous region, Vietnam. So all in all, I would say that these two choices of Mexico and Vietnam, not exactly super smart. I think that it jeopardizes America's security at the end of the day. But then again, that's just me. No real meaty analysis to offer you on this one. Just a reflection, perhaps a thought of common sense and something for you to consider as you go about your day. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It's a listener question today sent to us from one of my paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com. Jill in Augusta, Georgia wrote in. She asked if I had heard about a very infamous road trip that somebody had over the summer. As Jill explained, it was a Biden administration official, the U.S. Secretary of Energy, actually, a gal named Jennifer Granholm. So Ms. Granholm was, in fact, on a road trip recently with her electric vehicle. She was in a, in a big old official caravan, and she was trying to sell the American people on these fancy space cars and telling them, well, you should really buy one. And listener Jill wanted to know, Brian, did you hear the story of how that went. Well, yes, I did. So Jill, for everybody who didn't hear this story, let's tell it to them, especially anybody who's having a bad day, because as the old expression goes, misery loves company. And this one's a doozy. Might just cheer you up. So Secretary Granholm was cruising through Georgia in a fleet of electric vehicles. But thankfully, not everybody in her entourage had an electric vehicle. Some were driving gas-powered cars, and thank goodness for that. Because just outside of Augusta, they ran into troubles. There were not enough charging stations for those EVs, either because they were full, they were broken, or otherwise not around. So one of Miss Granholm's more industrious employees got in their gas-powered car, drove around, until they found some empty bays at a charging station. And this employee pulled his car in there and just parked in a number of spots, apparently. In other words, they used their gas car as kind of a blocking device to hold the spots for the fleet of government EVs. Well, as that person did that, a family pulled up with their baby on board in their electric space car, and they needed one of those spots. And they said, sir, Mr. Biden official, would you kindly move your gas car? Because our electric vehicle needs some juice. And the Biden official said, no, no, I've got some friends on the way and they're, they're going to need these bays. So I'm so sorry. No. To which the family said, oh, OK, well, we're going to call the police. Well, then the police showed up. And they said, sorry, we are not here to separate you fighting hippies. Plus, there is no law on the Georgia books that says that a gas car cannot park in an in, in EV's charging station. And so these cops left. And then 
The family had a screaming baby to deal with because it was scorching hot outside, which is usually true in Georgia. And as ever, the Biden official refused to leave. Well, eventually, the caravan of dirty green marauders showed up with the energy secretary. And to her credit, she realized what an absolute nightmare scenario she had created with her dirty green drag race. And she, to her credit, smoothed things over. But the cherry on top of this deal was, my goodness, another EV driver pulled in and and wanted one of these spots too. And that created another fuss. And that person said to the reporter that was with uh, Miss Granholm, quote, this is just par for the course. They'll get it together at some point, end quote. Now, what wasn't clear is whether this fellow meant that the EV charging stations had to get it together eventually at some point, or if he was referring to the Biden administration, that they would get it together at some point. (laughs) But either way, here's uh, what I took from this story, Jill. Good luck. To all the folks out there who decide to buy these cars, fingers crossed. And just one piece of advice, you may want to buy a generator and carry it in your trunk because you never know. Folks, if you would like me to answer one of your questions on this podcast, it's easy to do so. Either donate via my Stripe account, which you will find a link for in the show notes. Just make sure you leave an email and I'll be in touch. Otherwise, go to writereport.substack.com, sign up, and at the bottom of each day's Substack post, you can leave a comment or ask me a question. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.